You're listening to the Restless Wanderer podcast by Paul Coulter, and this is part one of a series in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter one, verse one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon fourteen generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ fourteen generations. We'll pause our reading there after verse 17 of Matthew chapter 1. Now, as we begin to read this gospel, we notice that Matthew begins his gospel with a, an interesting statement in verse 1. It's different from any of the other gospels in the way Matthew words this. He calls it the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Uh, the word that's translated book is the Greek word biblos that gives us the word Bible. Uh, it just means a, a book, literally, but uh, the idea is that this book is going to tell us about the genealogy or the, the word that's translated in the ESV that I've read from, genealogy, is the word genesis. It's the same word that we give to the first book of the Old Testament, the first book of the Bible. And that's interesting. It literally means origin or beginning. So this is the book of the genealogy is an attempt to say, OK, uh, what Matthew is about to give us is a genealogy about Jesus origins, if you like. But there's also an echo in this word of Genesis, the, the book right back at the very beginning of creation. There's a sense that this is a new beginning, a new creation that God is about to bring about through Jesus the Christ. And it's worth remembering when we read Jesus Christ, that's so familiar to us that people probably on the street, if they heard Jesus Christ, probably think that Christ is Jesus' surname. 
But of course, surnames didn't exist at the time of the New Testament in the same way that they do today. In the New Testament, you'll often read of people called so-and-so's son or sometimes Bar, uh, like Simon is Bar Jonah, son of Jonah. But uh, there was no surname as such. So Christ is definitely not a surname. It's a title. It means Messiah. It's the Greek word for anointed that translates the Old Testament Hebrew word Messiah. And so right at the outset, Matthew is telling us this is the book about the origins of Jesus, the Messiah. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. This is the story of Jesus, the Messiah. And we're told that he is the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, clearly, the genealogy that we've just read breaks into three parts and it begins with Abraham and it breaks with David. But notice there is no third person mentioned in this ancestry in verse one. You might expect that Jeconiah, who's the beginning of the third section of the genealogy, would be mentioned. But of course, Jeconiah doesn't have the same significance in Old Testament history that Abraham and David have. So what Matthew is doing here is not simply telling us about Jesus' ancestry, important as that is, and it was certainly important to the Jewish people in New Testament times. It's probably less important to people today, and though many people, when they reach a certain age, suddenly become interested in their ancestry, begin to research where they came from. And in some countries, that's more prevalent than in others. But for the Jewish people, it was incredibly important. But it wasn't simply his genealogy, as in who is he descended from? You know, who were his ancestors? Wouldn't that be interesting? No, this is telling us that Jesus is the descendant of Abraham. Abraham, who around 2000 years before the birth of Jesus, was called by God to leave his family and the land where they were settled to go to the land that God had promised. Abraham, who was given the promises from God, from Genesis 12 onwards, that God would give that land to his descendants, that his descendants would become a great nation and that they would be blessed and through them, blessing would come to all nations. So this is a fulfillment. Jesus is a continuation and a fulfillment of the story that began with Abraham, the story of God's rescue and redemption of people. A story based on God's promises, a story of blessing, not only to the descendants of Abraham, but through them to all peoples. If you're familiar with Matthew's gospel at all, you'll probably know that at the very end of the gospel, we have Jesus commending his disciples or commissioning them to go to all nations or all peoples to make disciples of Jesus. And right at the beginning here, we have this reminder that God's promise to Abraham was that all peoples would be blessed through him. So this is the continuation of the Old Testament story. But Jesus is also the son of David. David lived around 1000 years after Abraham, 1000 years before the birth of Jesus. And David, of course, was not the first king of Israel. He was the second king but he was the king who was a man after God's own heart. And he's the king to whom God gives the promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that uh, all nations would be, or sorry, that his family would be kings forever. 
So we're being told here that Jesus is the descendant of David as well. He's the descendant of Abraham, through whom all nations will be blessed. But he's also the descendant of David, who is a king, the rightful king, the king who will reign forever. It's often been observed that Matthew's gospel seems to have a particular uh, focus on the Jews that might explain why the genealogy comes up front like this. And the identification of Jesus as descendant of David and of Abraham is so important right at the beginning. Matthew is probably writing for Jewish people or perhaps Jewish background Christians. But also Matthew presents Jesus in a special way as the king. And that's clear right here at the beginning with this royal genealogy. And Matthew has arranged the genealogy into three sections. And at its conclusion, he points out to us that there are 14 generations in each of these sections. There are 14 names uh, in the first uh, list from verses 2 to 6, from Abraham to David. Then there are 14 new names in the second section, from uh, the second part of verse 6 down to verse 11, beginning with Solomon. David is a 15th name in that section. Then there are 13 names in verses 12 to 16. Uh, well, rather, 13 generations. Um, yes, 13 direct descendants. There are more names than that mentioned because there are some wives who are mentioned in these verses as well. But uh, if we look at the history and if we compare these lists with the Old Testament, well, we see that uh, there is a, a little bit of a, a problem with this number 14 in that some generations have been skipped in the second section there are one or two of the, the kings who have been missed out. In fact, it's more than that. It's Ahaziah, Joash and Amaziah, three generations who are skipped over after Jotham in verse 9. Uh, so this is not a complete genealogy. Uh, Matthew has deliberately arranged it into these groups of 14. And we can assume, although we don't know, that the third section from verse 12 downwards also has uh, some uh, omissions because there are only 13 uh, names there and that's a 500 year period or thereabouts. And we can assume there would have been more generations in that time. So Matthew has been selective. He clearly thinks the number 14 is significant. Uh, but he doesn't tell us why he thinks that's significant. But there are a number of things that we know from uh, the, the Jewish background of the book that might be pointers to this. Uh, there is a, a, a way in Hebrew of giving numbers to the individual letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And when you take the numbers uh, for the word David and add them up, they add up to 14. So it could be that Matthew is, is doing this to emphasise the royal uh, identity of Jesus and how he is the climax of that royal line. It's also been suggested that 3 times 14, uh, which is 6 times 7, and that makes 42. That would be 6 weeks of people. So you've got 6 groups of 7, 6 weeks leading up to the age of the Messiah, uh, and that might be somehow significant, although that seems a bit less likely. But uh, others have said that maybe it's simply that you have two sevens, and seven, of course, is the number of perfection in creation. Uh, and now this is the, the, the symbol of something that is complete. 
or maybe a second week of creation. Uh, one other suggestion that I, I find quite interesting is uh, from a, a Jewish writer, Finkelstein, who says that the Jews at this time regarded the number 14 as significant because it was the number of high priests from Aaron until the establishment of Solomon's temple, and that also the number of high priests from the establishment of the temple until Jadua, who's the last high priest mentioned in the Old Testament. So in other words, the Jewish people of the time would have seen some echo of a priestly identity. So is Matthew either just using that same number that was used of the priests uh, to show that this is the completion of the kingship? Or is he perhaps even hinting that Jesus is not merely a king, but also a priest? Well, the bottom line is we simply don't know. Matthew doesn't tell us why 14 is significant, but certainly he draws it to our attention. The other thing to say when we look at this genealogy is that it's one of two genealogies of Jesus that we have in the New Testament. The other one is in Luke's Gospel. And when we look at the genealogy of Jesus in Luke, uh, that's in the second half of Luke chapter 3, we'll see some differences from this one in, in Matthew. First of all, there's a difference in the way it's arranged. Matthew works forward towards Jesus, beginning with Abraham and working down through the generations. Luke begins with Jesus and works backwards uh, from, from that point. Uh, also, Luke goes right back to Adam, whereas Matthew begins with Abraham. But the main difference, of course, is that the names don't correspond. There are different lists of names, not between Abraham and David. That's the same in both lists. But after David, there are significant differences. And there are two main possibilities as to why that might be. You may well be familiar with the suggestion that they're giving different genealogies, that uh, Jesus or Matthew perhaps is giving the genealogy of Joseph, uh, whereas Mar uh, Mary's genealogy is in view in uh, the book of Luke. Now, that may be the case, but it perhaps seems unlikely as both lists end with Joseph, uh, who's um, the, the generation before Jesus, rather than one mentioning Mary. Although, again, it would be unusual for a genealogy to run through a mother. Uh, and so that might be just a way of covering that. Uh, and we shouldn't be surprised if there was something unusual about a genealogy. Um, using the mother in the case of Jesus, because, of course, uh, he has no earthly father, which is hinted at in both Luke and here in Matthew. In, in Luke's genealogy, it says that Jesus being the son, as was supposed of Joseph, Luke chapter 3, verse 23. And in Matthew's genealogy, in Matthew 1, verse 16, it says that Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. It doesn't say that Joseph was the father of Mary. And as we go later on, of course, we'll realise that uh, Jesus was born of a virgin, that Joseph was not his father. So one possibility of the differences is that one is the genealogy of Joseph. Uh, Joseph, of course, is uh, focused on in Matthew's accounts of the nativity, as we'll see. Uh, and Mary, perhaps, is more the focus in Luke's gospel. Matthew, uh, Joseph is more of a background figure there. 
But uh, another possibility is that Matthew is presenting for us the direct line uh, of people who inherited the kingship from David. Uh, in other words, these are the people between uh, David and the exile who actually reigned. And then from after the exile, the people who would have been king had, uh, there, had there been a king after the exile, which of course there wasn't. So these are the official heirs of the title of king because Matthew is establishing the kingship of Jesus, that the kingship would have passed in this line through these generations. Whereas in Luke's gospel, uh, it's presenting the actual ancestors. So they weren't the people who reigned or would have reigned after David necessarily, but they were uh, the direct ancestors of Joseph. And I think that might be a more likely explanation for the differences. But again, we have to suspend judgment and say we can't quite uh, know how to reconcile that. But we shouldn't see these differences as being a, a contradiction that could cause us to doubt the reliability of the New Testament. There are explanations which are plausible. The other thing I should have said when I mentioned that Matthew skips generations, you might think, well, then this is a bit dishonest because it says uh, so-and-so, the father of so-and-so. But actually that word that's translated the father of in the ESV, if you're familiar with the old King James, is the word begot. So really the emphasis is on the father fathering the child, um, the conception of the child through the action of the father, rather than on the child being uh, being the son of. Okay, so That's why the ESV uses the father of. Um, but also that phrase can be used not just to refer to one's father, but one's grandfather, great-grandfather, or male ancestor. So it's not dishonest for Matthew to skip those generations and to use this language. Now, the other thing to comment on this genealogy, of course, is who are these people? Well, some of them will be familiar names. Uh, some of them great heroes of the Old Testament. Abraham, the father of the faithful. David, that great king, although both Abraham and David, like all characters in the Old Testament, were sinful. Some of the characters are much less attractive. Some of those kings descended from David, if you're familiar with your Old Testament history, were ungodly. Kings who who, who departed from God. And, and some of the other characters as well have uh, significant issues. I mean, Solomon, yes, began as a great king asking for wisdom and built the temple of God, but he was led astray by into idolatry by his love for many wives who worshipped false gods. Uh, and, and of course, um, Judah, who's early up in verse 2 in the list, uh, well, there's a pretty sordid story related to him. And that related to Tamar, who's actually named in this uh, list. In fact, there's a mention of both Perez and Zerah, two brothers born of Tamar. Tamar is one of three women who are named in the list, three female ancestors of Jesus. But there's a fourth woman who's referred to as the wife of Uriah in verse 6, who was the father, who was the mother rather of Solomon. And if you look up 
your Old Testament and ask, who are these women? Well, really, it's quite significant that they're named in this way. They all were probably Gentiles. Certainly Tamar was. Ruth certainly was from Moab. And uh, Rahab certainly was a Canaanite. Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, was probably a um, a Gentile too. Uriah was a Hittite. So four Gentile women, and three of them, Ruth being the exception, are morally dubious women, if I can put it that way. Rahab, who uh, was the mother of Boaz, was a prostitute at the time of the conquest of the land in the time of Joshua. She was a prostitute, but she converted. She came to trust in the God of Israel and she saved the spies. You may remember it from the book of Joshua. And and uh, so God uh, spared her, the people spared her, but she married into the people of Israel. And Ruth, of course, the Moabites, who was a, a great godly woman, she was a, a, a not morally dubious at all, but she was so dedicated to her mother-in-law Naomi that she stayed with her uh, and acted in a in a wonderful way, the book of Ruth tells us, and became married to Boaz and so became the ancestor of Jesus. Tamar, in verse 3, uh, who was the mother of Perez and Zerah, well you read about her in the book of Genesis, in chapter 38. And uh, Tamar, although she was morally dubious, really was the person who was misused by Judah in that chapter. Uh, two of his sons who were given in marriage to her uh, died and uh, Judah refused to give the third son to her. So she tricked Judah into sleeping with her. She pretended to be a prostitute, a temple prostitute. And Judah is really the character who is... Uh, quite despicable in that chapter because he sleeps with her. She then reveals her identity uh, and he has no choice but to accept her sons as his own. Now, of course, Judah, as you read on through Genesis, uh, turns a corner. He becomes the, the one who, who is a leader amongst his brothers uh, and he's uh, significantly willing to give up himself in place of his younger brother, Benjamin, when it comes to uh, the, the time when they're interfacing with Joseph in Egypt. You can read that in Genesis. So Judah does is transformed in a sense. He, he goes from bad to better uh, and so finds a place in the uh, ancestry of the Lord Jesus, becomes the inheritor as his older brothers are passed over, his uh, brothers for various reasons, Levi and Simeon and um and Reuben. But uh, the, the point is again that, that these women are all Gentiles. Uh, at least three of them have some kind of moral cloud over their character and yet here they are woven into the story of God's people. That as well is a, a sign that this is a king who will not merely be for Israel just as the promise to Abraham was that through his descendants all nations would be blessed. So here is the, the hint of already the blessing that had come to some people from other nations who had been included amongst God's people. And God is going to do something subversive, if you like. 
just as he did repeatedly throughout the history of Israel, particularly in the family of Abraham. You see so many barren women who then conceive. You see so many second sons inheriting rather than their uh, than, than the firstborn. But uh, we we're going to see that God is going to do the ultimate subversive thing that through uh, a weak man, God is going to redeem his people. And that blessing from Abraham is going to go out to all nations. There will be many more like Tamar and Ruth and um, Bathsheba and uh, Rahab who are going to be blessed people from other nations and included in the great story of God. One last comment on the genealogy is to say that uh, there is a particular reference to brothers. You might have noticed that Judah and his brothers, of course, those are the ancestors of the other tribes of Israel. So we might expect that they get a mention, but it's particularly that word brothers. And we get the same idea with Jeconiah and his brothers in verse 11. We have those two brothers in verse 3, the sons of, of Judah. Uh, and this is a, an indicator of a particular interest that uh, Matthew has in brothers. Uh, we'll see that as we go through the gospel. Just notice how many times Matthew refers to brothers. So as we begin this series in Matthew, we've been introduced to what the book is about. It's the beginnings, the origins, the genesis of Jesus Christ. And through him, perhaps the hint is there, the genesis, a new beginning, a new creation that God is going to bring through Jesus, the Messiah. This Jesus, who is the descendant of David, the descendant of Abraham, the descendant of a long line of a, a, a purposeful history, Perhaps the, the 14, the groups of 14 generations, whatever you think of the suggestions I, I shared earlier that different authors have given. Perhaps if, if nothing else, it just tells us that there was an order to this history. As Matthew writes to in a time whenever the Jewish people were on the downside of history and may well have wondered whether any of that history had significance and when was God going to restore their fortunes. Well, Matthew is telling us that the Old Testament story really matters because it is the backstory of Jesus the Messiah. It is through Israel that God is going to bring that blessing for all peoples that he promised to Abraham. It's through Israel that God is going to bring the king, the descendant of David, who will reign forever, an eternal kingdom. And that, of course, is the kingdom that Jesus is going to talk about, the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew calls it. This Jesus, who is born of Mary, whose husband was Joseph, descended from Abraham and from David. I hope that as we begin into this series, I've whet your appetite for finding out more about who this Jesus is, for seeing more of how he fulfills the story of Israel and of the Old Testament, because Matthew's going to show us how in his the order of his life, in his actions uh, and in his words, Jesus is fulfilling the story of Israel. Jesus is the beginning of a new people of God, the church. Matthew, the only gospel that refers to the church using that word, and that Jesus is the one who at the end of the gospel will commission his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations because all authority is given to him. He is the king 
and because he will be with them forever until the end of the age. He is the king who reigns eternally and who empowers his people to live for him. So as we begin on this journey, let's give thanks to God for Jesus, the Messiah, our saviour.